This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. So what a, what a privilege to be part of what God is doing. You know, we've baptized a lot of people right through even this lockdown because the kingdom of God is still coming. Um, you know, God isn't um, not moving. He's doing amazing things. I think one of the things that as, as we've been talking through the past couple of weeks um, through time to humble ourselves, that's what we've, we're busy with. We spoke about grace and um, just <clears throat> connecting with our weaknesses and our brokenness and, and being able to, to come from that place. God is not expecting of us to be super Christians because uh, God is perfect, but he does say and he talks about issues in our hearts. And I think um, just over the last couple of months, a lot of us, maybe through this lockdown time, uh, you could have responded in one of two ways, you know, especially those first couple of weeks, everyone was very excited, everyone was like, oh, you know, family time, that's great. And then after a couple of weeks, some of the worst stuff came out, you know, um, their family have some problems. And then you realize it's not just them that has the problem. Um, me, myself, and I, you know, there's um, some of the stuff that God begins to expose. And I think for a lot of us, you know, the choice is whether we're going to harden our hearts or actually allow God to shine that light on us and uh, say, sure, Lord, maybe, maybe I need your grace. Maybe I need you more than ever before. Because that's what we're talking about. Humility comes from a place of brokenness, comes from a place of surrendering to God. And um, I've also seen uh, uh, just a small part of people that are, have just hardened their hearts, just decided, like, we, we're not going to allow God to prune us. We're not going to allow God to take us a bit through sifting. Uh, we, we're going we're gonna to just keep on going. And, and when this thing is over, I'm going to fill my life with a lot of things again. Because that's the thing, if our lives are too busy so that God can work in our lives. Um, and so the, the question is, how are we, even with a busy life, going to change so that we allow God to, to bring us to that place of complete freedom? And so this evening, or this morning and this evening, we're sort of ending off a whole series. So if you're only visiting us, I'm going to give you some scriptures just quickly, but, and uh, then we're going to baptize people. Are you, are you excited to be back at church? It's just amazing to worship God. So let me, let me quickly recap. You know, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul um, comes to God and he, three times he, he asks of God, he says, please take away this thorn in the flesh. Um, and he pleads with God, he says. And then the Lord says, no, I'm not going to take away the thorn in the flesh because my grace is sufficient for you. My power you know, in your weakness, is made strong in your weakness. And, um, and Paul actually goes on, and he says, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in my reproaches, in needs, in persecution. I actually find joy in these things because I realize, like, I'm not, I'm not looking for happiness. I'm looking for God, and in that, I will not lose my joy. I will not lose what God has done in my life. And so... Um, that's what God wants in us is so that we can know that place. And he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Will you say that? When I'm weak, then I'm strong. 
There's some very excited people over here, some over here, and some over there. Okay, so almost feels like surround sound from the top here. The second thing we looked at is to be nothing before God. Galatians says, if you think you are someone, you're actually deceived. And so we live in a town that is so divided. We live in a town that is so full of pride. And pride is ugly, especially spiritual pride. Especially when we either think we're superior to other people or we even feel we're inferior. That's also a manifestation of pride. When I are intimidated, when I'm intimidated by other people or what they say, then it's also pride because it means I find my identity in something else than who God says I am. And there's a lot of stuff, you know, the identity politics, all this stuff, especially with the young people, there's, there's so many things that are happening in our lives, you know, and everyone wants to force their opinion on us, especially the media. And so when we, before God, we have to say, when I am nothing, He's everything. And so we are nothing. In Christ, we are righteous. In Christ, we are free. The third thing we looked at, is that we need to keep on growing. We need to be teachable. Never think that you have arrived. Will you turn to your neighbor and say, you will never arrive. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Some of the married people said, you will. Don't, just gently, graciously. This is not an opportunity to get back at somebody or take it out on somebody. This is an opportunity to say, hey, we need to grow together. Isn't it amazing, you know, how many years you've been married? 52 years. Go and talk to them and ask them, like, at the end, you know, the person you married, this is now a completely different person because we've allowed change to happen. We've allowed to grow. We've allowed our hearts not to grow hardened because that's the problem. The moment when our hearts grow hardened, then we're in trouble because then we say those words like, you never you always, now some people are smiling and they're like, okay, I'm not looking at anyone, I'm not looking at anybody. Okay, so <clears throat> there's, there's a place to be gracious with each other. There's a place where we need to grow like that learner, licensed person, you know. I'm taking, it's our second child that's going through this process and what... What, you know, I, I think the big word is patience, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness. All the fruits of the Spirit is being tested in my life as we are driving on a Sunday afternoon between 3 and 4. Please don't drive between 3 and 4 today, okay? Because that's when we're on the road. I'm, I'm just, this is just a warning, Okay. Especially there in Yonkers, Hook, Innie Park area, don't drive there between three and four. You may have somebody that drive. No, no I'm, I'm not going to speak out of the house. But in any case, so, but learning, you know, being teachable, you know. I'm, 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 normally when I get out of that process of teaching my child how to drive, this hand is like a, got a cramp because of the handbrake that I have on all the time, you know. So I'm, but let's remain teachable. And then we, Last week started to look at the life of Peter, how God dealt with Peter, and um, he called him. Peter was this loud mouth. Peter had a lot of things to say. Peter cut off the ear of the soldier. Peter was the first one to confess Jesus as Lord. He was the first one, 
in Matthew 16 where, you know, when Jesus said, who the people say I am, he said, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. He was the first one who walked on water. He was, he was a bold guy. And yet there was this contention between the Simon and the Peter. Because the one wanted to take control all the time. The one wanted to be in control. And at a stage, Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. Because I'm going to the cross. And um, what a challenge at the end when Jesus comes back to him. And I, I want to I jump into that in Luke chapter 22. That's sort of our key verse. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you that we're not here for entertainment, but we are the church. Thank you, Lord, as we humble ourselves. Even in this time of worship this morning, Lord, you are worthy of it all. Because from you are all things, Lord, and to you are all things. May our lives, Lord, be a worship song to you. Not just today, but every day, tomorrow morning, when we go to work, when we drive, when we speak with our colleagues, when we study. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy, Lord. Lord, we are not worthy. We have only value in and what you've done on the cross. You've placed value and worth on our lives. And we want to just give it back and thank you today. We thank you today, Lord, for that freedom. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to surrender. In Jesus' name we pray. We thank you for your word that is living and powerful. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Luke chapter 22, there's this moment before Peter is going to deny Jesus. That's where we left or ended off last week. In verse 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. I come from a wheat farm. You have this big combine harvesters. And what you do is you pick up the wheat. It goes through the system of this big wheat combine harvester. And the way you get the wheat out of the chaff and all the other nonsense is you hit it very hard. Bah! You just you have these sifts that just sift it. And as it breaks out the Real wheat falls to the one side because it's, and the rest just, you throw out at the back. So what happens is, Jesus begins to say to Peter, Peter, Satan came to, for a visit. And he asked for one thing, he wanted to sift you. He's asked to sift you. And then Jesus says, well, I prayed for you, I was on my knees all night so that there will be no sifting process in your life and that you'll be prosperous and that it will be, go great with you and that you'll be just happy ever after. That you'll just have a nice life. Now, I only prayed for one thing, that your faith should not fail. And Peter, do you know what? In your heart, you're going to walk away from me. But when you have returned, I've got one thing that I'm asking of you. Strengthen your brethren. Strengthen your brethren. But here comes the Simon again. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day, crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. We all have this part of us, you know, and some of us have been sifted through our work situations, through the fear of the country. Some of us.
or not in a good space maybe, where everything else like, oh, everything you're standing on, and I'm, I um, <clears throat> always used to ask my grandmother the same story. I said, Grandma, tell me about the big earthquake in Tolbach, because she was there in Tolbach and Sirius. And uh, the funny story is when the earthquake started, she took all of her seven kids, ran to the kitchen, hid under the table, big, big table in the kitchen. They had a huge table and like really, really a, a massive table and a very strong table. And so they were all hiding and she pulled everyone like a mother in under the table and there they were sitting and here goes the earthquake, everything is shaking. Lots of people lose their heads when the earthquake happens, you know. And after... The first big wave, she opened her eyes and then she realized the table is standing on the other side of the room and they're all sitting in the corner. You know? <laughs> so the purpose of the table was missed. But when an earthquake happens, I don't know if you've ever been in an earthquake. I've been in one. It's like people go crazy because everything you stand on is busy shaken. And, and the world, especially the church in the West, is being shaken. There's a pruning, and it's, and it's beautiful. It's, God is part. God is in it. So my question to you, to you today, and I, I asked you last week, and now I'm going to ask you again. Ask the Lord, what is he praying for you and for me and for the church right now? Just, just ask him. I, I, I think he will tell us. If Jesus is the intercessor, what is he praying for us right now? Do you think he's praying for happiness? Because they did a study, the Bonner Group and a lot of people in America, they said that most of the Western Christians, more than 98% of their prayers is for their own happiness. The Christians in the Middle East, in the persecuted countries, are mostly praying that God will increase the persecution for holiness. Sure. Because we mostly pray around our comfort, not around the purpose of God. And that's the invitation. Say, Lord, what are you praying for my life? <laughs> now, I'm not saying God is praying, oh, make us sick, let her die, you know, <laughs> let her suffer. You know? That's not his prayer. <laughs> but his prayer is mostly to do with his glory, just to give you a tip. His glory, his kingdom, glorify your name. Can I get an amen? And so with Peter, we see this thing late in John 21 where Peter comes back and, and Jesus says to him, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. You know, Jesus is not into shaming people or he's never, he will never accuse. If, if I was Jesus, I would have just said, Okay, Peter, let's stand on the side here. Let's talk about those three times you denied me. What are you going to do to fix the problem? You know, come on, get a bit more, you know, man up, you know. Just like, let's talk about those three times you denied me. And Jesus doesn't say, he just says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Do you love me unconditionally? And Peter says, no, I can't love you, Lord, because he uses another word for love. I love you like a friend. I love you differently, Lord. You know that. I cannot love you unconditionally. And at that moment, the change comes because Peter, for the first time, realizes his own weakness. Peter, for the first time, opens up and begins to surrender and say, God, I can't do it. <laughs> and that's the start of the Christian walk. That's the beauty of surrendering to God. It's just to say, Lord, I can't. And then eventually, Peter becomes the head of the church. 
Peter is the first one God uses, him and Philip, to go to the Gentiles. Remember the Jews, they, they didn't think that the gospel was for other people. Even today, there's many people like that in our world that thinks like that. The gospel is just for rich or for poor. The gospel is just for white or for black or for pink. The gospel is for, and, and sometimes our churches are the most segregated churches ever. I was just standing and I think like, look at Jason, look at Sean. They add so much value when we have people with different cultures, different backgrounds, different ages. That's the church. <laughs> it's a miracle. Can I get an amen? <laughs> so surrender, that's what God calls us to. And what does the word surrender mean? It means to give one wholly to another, to absolutely abandon, to trust and submit completely. Psalm 51, this is David praying after he sinned with Bathsheba. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. God will never put shame on brokenness and contriteness, yieldedness to him. So it's getting very quiet here. We've got only 10 more slides to go, so hang in there, okay. This is a picture. Can you, can you just show them that picture? It's beautiful, eh? Horses. It's actually a real picture. It's not been like photoshopped or anything. This is a picture of horses near Hermanus. They're between Hermanus and Claymont. There's these flay areas, these big water areas. And these horses have, are walking around there for more than 40 years already. Wild horses. They, they're just roaming those areas. And there's like these mysteries or people speak about them. They say like, wow, this is so amazing, you know. There's these rumors of where they came from. Some people say there was a ship that was going to sink and then they, they threw the horses off and they swam out and now they're running there. Some people say, no, it, it comes for more than 100 years. And, and so the scientists have gone and people want to go close and they say like, oh, don't go too close. But these wild horses. Amazingly, they run and they have made some videos of them and all that stuff. It's like beautiful. They, you'll see them there if you drive past there sometimes. But it's like almost like a mystery and people are like, whoa, that's amazing. And they are. They're great to take pictures of and to talk stories about. But they're not really of any use. Sorry. They're useless. People are shocked, like, like, no, no, let's talk. But what is the purpose of the horse? <laughs> it's not to look nice on pictures. The only difference between those horses and the horses we had on the farm is one would have to break in certain horses. You break in the will of the horse to be subject to the master so that it can be of service. Of use. And this is a picture of many Christians today. We're like these wild people. Make these wild statements. They're Simons. Ah, you know? oh, yeah, yeah. We're going to do that, Lord. I'm never going to deny you. Or... But then there's a process. And I, I tell you, we, we um, wasn't actually, I was just part of the team. But we had these horses and then we had this rookie neighbor. He's, he was probably, I was still at school, like grade eight, and 
he was like in a student and then over holidays he would come. Saul was his name. And Saul would come to break in, but break in the horses. But he wasn't, he was a bit of a wild, rough one. He did it the rough way, you know. So he would jump on the back of that horse and then it is like rodeo, you know. <laughs> it is like crazy because a horse, naturally when they're wild, they don't, you can't put anything on its back. It can't, it's of no service. And then through the process, that horse, you know, first sometimes you have to put a bridle, a, a thing in its mouth that when you pull it, it actually hurts it so that it goes in the right direction. It's a massive process to first get just something on the back of that horse. But once that horse is broken in, the, the most amazing thing is you can ride it, you can use it in so many ways. You can take the sheep or the, the cows, I almost said the beasts, the cows, you know. The beast. So, but in any case, so you can take it in the right direction, and um, and it has so much power. But if that power is not under control, it's it's like useless. It can bring so much destruction. We had these big horses, you know, the Arab the Arab horses that were like huge. And they would literally run through a fence and destroy that fence if they were wild. And so, so we don't like that. We don't like that part. But, but at the center of the cross is a will that was surrendered to God. And the challenge for all of us, let me say this, sometimes we try to change our own, we, we try our willpower when it comes to sin. We say, God, I'm going to just try hard and not to watch that pornography next time. Lord, I'm just going to try hard and not to do that. Lord, I'm going to try. But then who's in control? Still you and I. Come on. Any bit of control freaks here? We grow up in this space where we want to be in control. And we put in the mechanisms. We, we're going to fight this battle. And then God says, come, Simon, I want you to surrender. I want you to absolutely abandon yourself to me. And it's difficult because we have a strong will. It's one of the greatest things God has given the human race, the will to choose. But it can also become one of the most destructive things if it's not yielded to God, yielded to the master. Are, are you with me this morning? Say, he's preaching, he's preaching about somebody that you know. Just tell your neighbor, tell your neighbor that. Okay, three, three more slides and then we're going to get practical and get... 15 minutes and then the children are going to come. Philippians 2, that's where we started this series, the most, one of the most profound chapters in the Bible, I believe, is in Philippians chapter 2. Talks about the gospel, talks about the humility of Christ. Paul writes this passage as Ephroditus brought this gift and now Paul is in prison. So it's not a comfortable space, but he's writing back to the church that brought this gift to him. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others Better than himself. Put other people's interest above your own. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. I think it was Tim Keller that said, 
if people were selfish before the lockdown, people are going to just be so much more selfish after it. Because we, we've, we haven't been made to focus just on our own stuff. If we, if we focus inwards, we're going to become like an ingrown toenail. Have you ever had an ingrown toenail? You just can't get rid of that thing and eventually it's... Huh? Just wave at me if you've ever had an ingrown toenail. It is so uncomfortable because it's growing in. And you're just like, oh, you know, I'm going to get rid, you know. And so God invites us. He says, I, I want you to, to come out of that space, out of your comfort, out of your isolation. And then fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Because remember, we're talking this morning about encouraging our brothers. You can allow that thing that has happened in your life to make you so bitter or you can become a blessing to others. You can say like, well, I've been through tough times or my life, you know, I, I haven't had a good this, but that's, that's why I love the word restoration. Jesus restores. Do you know what restoration, at the center of restoration is to make something better than what it was originally. That son, that prodigal son that ran away, he came back. Well, he got his inheritance. But when he came back, he got a ring, a robe, and shoes. He didn't have that before. Identity, authority, ability to go. What a restoration. It's not just like, come back to my house and have a nice time. It's like, come, I'm going to restore you. And your life will become a testimony. You see, because the world out there, they can deny the word, but they cannot deny you. They cannot deny the word in your life. Amen? And so Paul, Paul writes this. He says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Le learn to, to esteem others, to build other people up. You know, somebody asked me yesterday, he says like, yo, we as a family, it's so amazing. We just, we've decided we're not going to go to church anymore because, hey, we just... We have this Bible study together, and we're just growing together. It's so amazing. I said, yeah, it's supposed to be like that. Families must do Bible study together. Discipleship, that's, that's the basic part where discipleship starts, right? In your home, not in church. We are the church, and so there you need to start. That's where Sunday is not a Bible study, by the way. <laughs> Sunday is not designed. It's so that we worship God together. We encourage people. We, we, we build each other up. This is not Bible study on a Sunday. If, if you live off what you hear, yeah, you're going to be in trouble. Because this is 25 minutes. Hey, hello, anybody out there? <laughs> but you've been watching series for 30 hours this week. Most kids spend more than 40 hours playing games or on their tablets. So who are discipling them? Don't bring the kids to children's church and think, well, are they going to grow up godly? No. It's not going to happen. Because <laughs> they're being bombarded every day with stuff and things and information. But yeah, thank you for that. Amen, Chris. Hallelujah. So we're talking about building each other up. And so 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1 to 3, pursue love. And desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For you who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him, however in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. 
We normally think in terms of prophecy that, you know, we, especially in the charismatic church, there's so many labels or stuff that we put on people. And so we say like, oh, that guy prophesied over me and he spoke things over me, you know, about my future. But, you know, that's not actually prophecy. That's more a word of wisdom. Word of wisdom is when somebody prays over you and gets like a vision or a dream for the future in your life. A prophecy, the main focus of the gift of prophecy, now there are other ways, there's the prophet, the fivefold ministry prophet that are used in different ways, but when it comes to the gift of prophecy in the context of which Paul writes in this book of correction in Corinthians, he says when you prophesy the gift of prophecy, you speak edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He says when you pray in a tongue, you build yourself up and that's between you and God. But when it comes to the church, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Don't pursue spiritual gifts and desire love. Pursue love. And it's fine if you desire spiritual gifts with it. Don't pursue spiritual gifts. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts with it. They come together, but in that context. And so he says there, when we prophesy, when it comes to the church, we have this ability to encourage each other, to build each other up. And we're going to do it now, so you need to focus. We're going to actually practically do it. So be ready. I'm going to put you on the spot. Close the doors. Hallelujah. Because, hey, you can't just be a hero of the do- word. If you're not a doer, we're deceived, okay? If you've never done that, then just sit and stare at the ceiling and pretend that you're praying and you're waiting for Armageddon or something. I don't know. But, but we're going to do it very practically. So... And then we're going to baptize people because he's part of that. So let's just take these three words quickly. Because remember what, what um, the Lord said to Peter. Peter, when you come back, I want, to, I want, you, to, I want you to encourage your, your brother. I, I, want to, I want you to strengthen them. I want you to know that you've got a mission. And, and, and maybe it's just to make food. Hendrik, yeah, my neighbor, said, hey, I can make soup. And let's make soup for the students in the evening services so he makes like 50 liters of soup or Leonie said like hey she wants to minister to our Clutusville congregation by making soup every week and so we're going to get you to to help us to to feed the more than 40 ladies we have in that church that many of them live in Wendy houses so so these different gifts I'm not just talking about being spiritual and hanging from the chandelier and prophesying Every one of us have different gifts. Some of you can make amazing food, and I can bry amazing. But, you know, that's like, then bry, you know. But why? Because you have one focus. And you can go to the next slide. is to edify, to exhort, and to comfort. In our nation at this moment, there's very little of this, these things happening. Everyone is in fear. Everyone is like, Oh, Senegal, here we come. Oh, you know. And I'm not saying have a blind faith. But remember how Jesus looked at Peter. He never looked at the Simon. He treated Peter like he was Peter. And that's the most amazing thing we as the church have because we have the Holy Spirit. We have the spirit of prophecy. We have the gift of prophecy to edify to exhort, and to comfort. So I went to different, more than 10 different interpretations of what those words mean because I come from the farm and 
I can barely spell exhortation. You know, what is, what's the difference between edification and exhortation? Okay, hopefully you're going to know like I discovered this week. Edification is to build somebody up, to enlighten and strengthen the church, increase in knowledge and habits of Christ. It's to build somebody up to say, hey, I know you're not strong in this area, but I want, I want to encourage you. I want to build you up. I want to, I want to speak life over you. I want to pray for you. I want to make sure you're strong. If, I, if I'm building, then I'm not breaking down. I'm not criticizing and I'm not accusing. It is so easy to criticize. It's so easy to accuse. When you look at somebody in your life and you realize like, hey, that person, there's so many faults. Hey? When I look at Simon, the scriptures show me how bad Simon was. And then I can forget that Simon was bold. We can forget that the Lord loved Simon and said, you're Peter. And on the revelation of who I am, I'm going to build the church. We have the ability to love people to become the Peter. You know, I, when I got saved, and you've heard this testimony so many times, I stuttered, I couldn't speak. Like, if, if, if you had to tell me that I, I'm going to speak in front of people, I just ran a mile, yeah? Because if you start there, you're always like, uh, you're always like behind. People are in the conversation, and then you're still thinking on how am I going to say it correctly, you know? So when I got to grade eight, whew, I went here to Paul Boisai, and I, th I almost died 300 deaths just being in a crowd. And then in grade nine, I met Jesus. Within three weeks, he healed me completely of rejection and stuttering and all that stuff. I started to speak, and then there was this teacher that discipled me, and he said, you are one day going to preach in front of people. You're going to be in the full-time ministry. I thought like soccer, rugby at the end is full-time, half-time. When should I go onto the field to preach the gospel? Yeah. I didn't even know what full-time ministry meant, you know. And then he introduced me to the friends around him, and he would say like, this guy is going to one day minister to especially young people, and da 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 and he would speak all these things, and I was like, what? He saw in me something that I never knew or thought would be possible. But today I'm standing here because of somebody that had this gift of prophecy over their lives. They built me up. Sometimes I just wanted to run away. Then evening after evening would stand with the Bible and just disciple us and just talk through the scriptures and drive from Wellington to Paul and 10 o'clock at night, 12 of us would stand there and look, he's standing in the rain outside, we'll look through the window and Mr. Smith will just tell us about who Jesus is. What an opportunity. The second thing is to exhort. Most people say it's to encourage, but it, it urges the motives for a holy life to bring an urgency and quicken them in exercise of that urgency to stir somebody up. This isn't just to psych you up, to say like, Hey, I believe in you because there's flattery which, which sort of wants to tell people they're very good and we're not. But exhortation is to stir them up, to cleanse your heart, to have an urgency for the things of God. And that's what we do here on a Sunday. We, we exhort, we challenge, we say, come, be holy, come. This is where God's standard is. Come, be part of those brides, those virgins whose lamps are full. Don't let your lamp be be empty in this time. Fill up your lamp because both of those virgin groups were expecting the bridegroom to come. Only half of them, their lamps were full. And that's what exhortation means, encouragement to stir each other up. And that's not going to 
be for your happiness. <laughs> that will make you uneasy. And even some of you this morning, you're offended with me because like, how can you? What, what gives you the right? Well, I'm stirring you up with scripture. Say, come, God has got more, less of you, more of him. <laughs> less of me, more of him. So there's an urgency, and that urgency is, exhortation is lacking. We get a lot of encouragement, and there's the encouragement gospel in the West that tells people how amazing they are, and God is just here for you to serve you, but that's not real edification, exhortation, and comfort. That's not the spirit of prophecy. Just to tell you, hey, just keep on going with your life. God is really so in love with you, and he really doesn't care about sin at all or any stuff. No, no. Exhortation starts with repent, have a change of mind, have a change of action, direction, fruit. And the last one is comfort, to console the believer, present hope of the gospel in a time of trial, to support and uphold wounded and troubled spirits, to cheer somebody on, to support. The same word sometimes is used for the Holy Spirit, the paracletos, the one who comes alongside you to help you. So I'm coming alongside you to help you. I'm coming to support you. I'm coming to strengthen you, not towards me, towards following Christ. Wow, what an opportunity. That's the gift of prophecy. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.